What's up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. This is our third week in Easter Tide. Easter time. Easter Tide. Easter Tide. Thank you for thank you for the the gentle nod, Brooke. That was very much appreciated. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Yarrick, here with some of my friends, uh, Cameron. How are you doing? Good morning, Mike. Good to be here, man. Yeah. How many drinks do you have? I have three. I always have three. One regular water, one sparkling water, and coffee. Always that holy trinity of drink options. Holy, holy trinity of drinks. Uh, yeah. Brooke, how are you doing? I'm well. Yeah, I I had ten days of sickness. I'm on medication, so I feel I feel like like I have a new possibility at life. <laughs> and that's a beautiful feeling that we should all have access to at some point. So if you want me to get my sickness, give my sickness to you, I can give you a pillow or something and let you have this. I want this you feeling. to give, give your sickness to me. I will take antibiotics and I will feel like I have a new yes. scope on life. That is how take a lot of money as <laughs> antibiotics, but you will get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, glad you're feeling better. Andrew. Hello. Not Andrew and Drew. How are you doing? Right. I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. So yeah. I think I'm, yeah. I'm still tired. I'm recovering from Easter because my church, they do an insane amount of things for Easter. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. So it's good. Yeah, this is your your first like week where you're like, ah, back to normal. But for Studio Wesley purposes, we are still in Easter tide. I will get it correctly. And Derek won't yell at me. Just kidding. Derek doesn't actually yell at me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to insinuate. All right. Whatever. I'm going to open us up in prayer. Uh, Dear God, thank you for letting us all be here today. Uh, As always, um, every group is special. Everybody's perspectives on this. Um, We just hope that this proves itself meaningful to whoever may listen or absorb this content. Uh, And we thank you for giving us the opportunity to do this. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. And with that, Brooke, freshly out of sick world, I think you're going to start us off. You ready? Yes. Um, Take it away. So I'm often assigned lately the New Testament, and it's um, it's kind of funny. It's not really funny because I think that um, I think we tend to get passages that are hard for. <laughs> At least Derek stopped giving me the Psalms. That was that was a wonderful move on Derek's part. Um, but I'm reading First Peter, and I just I just struggle with the New Testament letters. Although I've been trying to think about them more because they're just kind of like in your face. And you really get a taste for the personality of the person writing it. Um, Like the book of James. um, I personally, um, at this time, I personally believe that James was the brother of Jesus. And you can kind of see the family resemblance in the way that they like talk to each other. Like they're, I, I I won't say it. Maybe you'll see if you, if you go through it, but in this book, um, I'm reading 1 Peter 17 through 23. I'm not going to read it to you. But there are, um, and I usually don't get along with Peter. He, um, yeah, he's he's got a, a way of looking at the world that's kind of different from the way that I look at the world. 
Um, he has an adorable personality, though. He's kind of like a puppy. But um, but there are some parts that I actually, I really, I really found interesting. Like every time a story mentions love, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm here for that. Um, so I'm going to start with 1 Peter 17, which is, you say that God is your father, but God doesn't have favorites. He judges all people by what they do. So you must honor God while you live as strangers here on earth. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say, first of all, I do struggle with the last part of that. Um, stranger, while you live as strangers here on earth, because I hear that. And personally, it's earth. Um, it's earth month. I actually, so like I said, I've been sick. And the way that I've been getting through my sickness, because I take I take ADHD medication, but it's expensive. <laughs> so I didn't want to use it while I was sick and couldn't do anything. But then, like, I had a hard time focusing. So the way that I maintained a little bit of, like, reading in my life is by, like, putting on a National Geographic documentary in Spanish, because I'm perpetually trying to learn Spanish and reading at the same time. And that was great. Um kind of made me miss the outside world. But I started thinking about um, how beautiful the natural world is and how I see God in it um, and the mysteries and the, um, gosh, like there's just so much to see God in, right? And I really like theology that doesn't separate us from earth and from the world, but that enmeshes us into it. Um, so I'm kind of challenged by this language that we're strangers here on earth, because I do believe that we were made for the earth and the earth was made for us, um, whichever of those came first. And, um, and that like we're meant, we're meant to be together in that way. Um, but the part that I do like about it is Peter saying that God doesn't have favorites and, um, and he doesn't, he doesn't just say that. And then he says, like, it matters, like, what you do, how you serve God. But I honestly, something I really struggle with is I, um, sometimes I feel so blessed by God. Um, I, I think about my life and I feel, um, I feel so grateful for the things that God has done in my life and the way that God shown up in my life and the way that I feel so deeply loved by God. But for me, for that to be good, I have to believe that God loves people, all people, <laughs> everyone in that same way. Because if it's just me, there's something deeply wrong with that. Um, so when I... Um, when I hear this, when I read this passage and it says that God doesn't have favorites, it reminds me that like, oh, like, and God, God loves everyone just as God loves me. And again, I have complications with that. Like my biggest thing is I feel how God loves me. I feel the way that God shows up in my life and the way that the Holy Spirit is moving through my life. And yet, I look at the news, I hear stories from my family and from my community um, and from my own experience that I just, I, I witness stories where I feel like I wish that God had showed up more. Um, 
and you know, in like permanent ways, like where people die and I'm like, I, I wish the Holy Spirit, that person I'd experienced the Holy Spirit show up in the way that I have. Um, and that's a mystery for me, but I, um, I appreciate this passage that it affirms to me and reminds me that whatever the mystery is there, whatever God is doing that I can understand that God loves all of us equally and infinitely in this way that's impossible to describe. Another verse that I really, really like from this passage is First um, Peter 1.18, you were rescued from the useless way of life that you learned from your ancestors, um, but you know that you were not rescued by such things as silver or gold that don't last forever. You're rescued by the precious blood of Christ, um, that spotless innocent lamb that goes into First Peter 1.19. Um, I'll be honest, y'all. I've been thinking a lot about um, I don't know who's going to watch this, so I'm trying to figure out how to say this as gently as possible. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the things in my culture and in my society that don't seem like they're from God, which to me is just a lot of things. Um, a lot of things. I've been thinking a lot about stewardship and money and like what is what is the faithful way to handle money? Um, and from that, like, what is the faithful way to exist in the world? And, you know, when you look at all the structures in the world, um, gosh, like, <laughs> there's a lot there that's not great. Um, <laughs> and I, I often look at the world and I think, like, this is not, this is not how it's supposed to be. I, um... I appreciate this idea that, and P Peter is talking to people who are like, not me, right? Like Peter is not talking to a 21st century Christian in the United States of America. Um, but I, I feel truth in the same message that even though there are ways that my culture has tried to honor God, we've still fallen short in this reminder that both we have to live in this world, we have to live in the society that I think hasn't been completely faithful. And yet we still belong to God. And yet God is still guiding us in this time. And that through Christ, through Christ, we're given a new way again and again to renew our covenant, to renew our promises, um, and to continue to follow Jesus as faithfully as we can. I, I really love that. Um, and I'm going to stop talking now. Thank you for listening. Brooke, I wonder if there's a connection between how you concluded and also the um, first verse that you drew our attention to, which was um, verse 17. Uh, since you call upon a father who judges all people according to their actions without favoritism, you should conduct yourselves with reverence during the time of your dwelling in a strange land. And you sort of drew our attention to um, this sort of disconnect of uh, how we are embodied beings and we are created for the created order and we belong here. So there's this sort of tension in, um, the 
the author is calling our attention to living in a strange land when theologically we also know that um, we are good, our bodies are good, the earth is good. Um, and then at the end, you, you sort of drew our attention to all of the difficult things that come with being an embodied human person on the planet and in the culture that we live in. And I just wonder if um, the strange land that we're being called to bring our attention to is less um, about the goodness or the world and more about the sort of ideologies and cultures and violence that is pervasive in our ideologies and cultures that make um, being people of God in the world sometimes a strange experience. Yeah, so I was thinking when you were talking about like the idea of being like strangers on earth, I think that that's really interesting because of sort of my, I think it's beautiful that like God understands that we are strangers on earth and our real home is in heaven and with him and all those things. And that's great. But I feel like as humans, like for me personally, it's hard to look at it like that. And I sort of connected that with the other things that you were saying with, um, you know, our culture and our systems and things like that, that we recognize are not really, um, uh, how would you say it? They don't really align with what we would think of in terms of godliness or, you know, how it will be in heaven. So I think that that's really pretty, but it's hard to sort of, like we're used to those things on earth, even though we might recognize them as bad. Those are really the only systems and structures and cultures that we've lived under. And it's probably so different from what it's going to be like in heaven that to me, it's hard to picture that as home and not, you know, what we've lived in, but in a positive way, because I'm sure that it's so much better there. So I thought that was kind of an interesting, like, you know, connection. Yeah. So funny enough, when I was reading this yesterday, my, the translation that I always use, which is the voice translation, it, it just says you should live in reverence while you live out your days in exile. That's how it like translates that, that section with like reverence being like just deep respect. Right. So, and I, so I, I did, I, it didn't, it didn't spark me as quickly because yeah, I mean, I, to me, that doesn't have to have a positive or negative connotation. It's just like, treat this with respect because it's, you know, important or it should be valuable. So yeah, that's really interesting. I just wanted to also just shout out the verse 18 that you mentioned, because I, I just think that that, that just the words of that alone hit me really hard. Like following the, the, I mean, again, my translation says following the empty ways handed to you by your ancestors, which I'm like, like, ah, nice. Uh, I have nothing to add to that. I just wanted to repeat the verse again because I thought it was really cool. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brooke uh, and Cam, Drew, all of you. Um, that leads us into the Old Testament text of Acts. Come at us. Just kidding. Uh, Cam, you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's go. Yes. So my text was Acts 2, 14, um, verses 36 through 41. And in the lectionary, the lectionary is doing some fun work by connecting 2, 14 to 36, because the 14th verse is really just an introduction. Um, so 
the lectionary writers were like, well, we need this introduction before we get into the text. Uh, and the introduction just is, is Peter addressing um, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem to listen to the words that he's going to say. And then he says some really tough words, um, which, again, the first verse is what really captured my attention, or rather the first ver verse 36 after our introduction in verse 14. And it reads, um, therefore, this is uh, Peter's to the crowd, let all Israel know beyond question that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then the next verse reads, when the crowd heard this, they were deeply troubled. So there's this text is, it's a text sort of of indictment. Who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus? Peter says you. Um, and I, I think that we can sort of expand the identification of the you, not just to the Judeans and everyone who lived in Jerusalem who was listening to Peter, but I think that we could universalize that you. Who is the you that crucified Jesus? It's, uh, I think, and I think that this is what the crowd sort of understood when they, when the text says that they were deeply troubled. It's us. It's not some them. It's not an evil other who is responsible for the death of Jesus. I think, it, at least this is the way that I've received it this morning, the you is us. And I, I don't mean that to, I don't say that to make us feel bad for the death of Jesus. But I do think it's interesting that sometimes um, the, the crowd is experiencing this revelation, this knowledge of God. Peter is identifying Jesus as God, and they're troubled by it. And I think that it's interesting that sometimes when revelation occurs, which is um, revelation is knowledge of God or specially received knowledge of God, our response is often like a little bit troubled, a little bit uncomfortable. It sort of shifts our worldview and shifts our understanding of who we are in relationship to ourselves and the human community and our relationship to God. Um, and I, I sort of extend this you, the, the indictment of our responsibility for the death of Jesus in the world that we live in to, to sort of connect back to um, Brooke's text and what we've already spoken about this morning. I think about, uh, for example, gun violence. And I know I, I, it's hard to hear because we hear it so often, but we are all, I, I think, um, we're all sort of indicted in uh, the United States of America by gun violence. It's not just the them who are responsible for um, the needless deaths of uh, folks in our community. It's, it's sort of our ability to continue to turn a blind eye without um, being really consistent in our embodiment and our desire for change that we are all implicated. You are implicated. I am implicated. We are implicated by the continuation of this violence. And I think that Peter, when he says you are responsible for the death of Jesus, he includes himself because we know that uh, the, the disciples, Jesus's disciples failed him before his death. He was betrayed. 
he uh, was handed over. He was he was sort of let down even by the people that were closest to him. And it's because of this like sort of human propensity to uh, allow what we identify as sin to sort of run right beneath the surface of uh, the show, the show. Um, and I know that's hard to hear, but the text ends with um, this liberation that comes from being identified, not only as the you who is sort of implicated in the death of Jesus, but also the you who is saved, who encounters salvation by meeting and following the risen Jesus. So it's not, the text isn't just this really tough, unsettling indictment, but it's also this sort of reassurance and call to um, an acceptance of who and what the risen Jesus is. Wow, Cam, yeah. Thank you, thank you for that so much. Holy crap. Uh, I, I'm going to sit with that for a second and digest it. I love that this crowd response is that they're all deeply traveled. And then I, th- and I think, if I remember correctly, doesn't this end with like a massive baptism of like a lot of people? It does. Like, yeah. yeah. So there's like a really happy ending to this too. So so my brain connects the fact that like everybody shares in this like troubled, this troubled experience. And then they they kind of all come together in this like, more or less like nice happy ending for the time being we'll call it you know um and i i just relating that to what you're saying about gun violence and how in modern day like we experience like this unanimously troubling thing and then our response is like divisiveness instead of this like kind of instead of us collectively sitting in this experience that we've had and and troubling feeling like we see in the text and then responding in in more of a like collect as a collective instead we're responding out of divisiveness and i I've, i'm like yeah that's that's where we're hitting the mark you know so yeah i don't know i think that that connection is is really strong here um i think that's all that's all i'm going to say on that i um i always appreciate it i mean it's hard but i i appreciate it when when we remember, um, I always think of growing up in the Catholic church. Um, well, I was curious about, uh, my parents went to church on Palm Sunday and I was curious about the lectionary text that they used because again, like the first time I went to Methodist Palm Sunday, I was shocked. I was like, why is everyone so happy? So I asked my parents, I was like, how, what, what text did y'all use? And they were like, you know, like we said, like crucify him, you know, we did that whole thing. Um, where in the Catholic church, you like read, you read the passion story on Palm Sunday and, um, and like you voice the crowd saying to crucify Jesus. And the message that I took from that is we are all responsible. We have it in us and we enact it. Um, and I do, I do have qualms about like children having to say that. Right. I don't know. I think by the time you're like my age, like you've definitely <laughs> you've definitely like done some bad things in the world. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Kind of tough for five year olds. But um, I appreciate I appreciate this reminder that we 
through our, like you said, Kim, through our apathy, through our inaction, through what we both choose to do and choose not to do. We enact violence. We, um, we cause unnecessary suffering in the same way that the crab did. So, yeah, one of the things that you were saying about uh, sort of the culpability, it reminded me of, I'm not sure, like I said, this whole like weekend is like pretty blurred at this point. So I don't remember if it was a video or if it was part of the sermon, but it was sort of the idea of, you know, uh, I think it was the man who went up and helped Jesus carry the cross and he was essentially risking his life and he was, uh, he was putting himself in real danger, basically. And I think that that idea kind of like struck me personally, I think, because I tend to in, have strong opinions. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. And then be completely willing to be the odd person in, in the room at some points. And then at other points, I'm like too uncomfortable to do it and things like that. So it made me think like, would I, this is Jesus, you know, the real Jesus right in front of me, would I have been the person to go up and do that? And I think that that's sort of like, like, I don't, I don't know that I can say confidently that I would have. So I think that's to me personally, like, it's not the end of the world, but it's like, well, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Or how can we improve, Not maybe not improve, but just be aware of that and sort of understand that, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I just want to throw this in real quick. We did this monologue at my church that was like Mary's point of view of the whole crucifixion story. And they, they literally took that juxtaposition book that you mentioned of Palm Sunday with this sort of idea, which is Mary saying like, you guys all celebrated Jesus coming in. And I thought, cool, that's great. My son is like, this is all this good stuff is having for my son. And then just a few days later, I was wrong, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Very, very strong, strong imagery there. Um, that being said, <laughs> this is the worst segue I've ever had. Very strong imagery. Um, speaking of imagery, maybe there's some beautiful imagery in your house, in your car, outside the window. Look at it while we take a break. <laughs> and bye. back hope you had a beautiful break looking at the scenery images that i so smoothly suggested um so we're gonna launch right into our psalms text psalm 116 with drew drew take it away i want to start by saying i think that is funny the comment that brooke made because this means that i am the lucky i'm the the lucky one who gets to talk about the psalms and that's okay even though some of them are some of them are very confusing to me and I try to make sense of them. So I'm going to do my best here with this one. But uh, so I'm going to read the beginning of it. So it says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. So I wanted to start, I think, 
by talking about the beginning of this, which is um, prayer, obviously. So it says, I love the, I love the Lord because he hears my voice. And I think that one of the really uh, cool things about the Bible is that, so, so I feel like specifically young Christians, which I am, I've only been going to church for like two years. No, that's, that's wrong. It's been a long, it's been like probably five years now. So time goes fast, but I think that it's really challenging sort of to uh, pray and it's easy to, to get into the mindset of fully believing in Jesus and believing in God, but it's really hard to pray and to understand that Jesus is listening and God is listening. And it's really easy to think there's so much, so many things going on in the world. My problems don't really matter to God, whatever is going on that I need to pray to him about even the smallest things, it's not going to matter to him because he's God. And I think that this scripture, along with many other ones, uh, assure, uh, guarantee that that's not the case and that God is listening. God does care about your prayers and he wants to have sort of that relationship and friendship with you. Um, And that's sort of in this psalm, I think, that's really what um, they're getting at is that it's not just that all the other great things that God does, but you can be confident that he is there for you and he cares for you. And he's, he's listening to everything that you have to offer to him uh, when you come to him in the way that uh, we're called to. So that was the easy part (laughs) to talk about. The next, the next part is um, let's see. I was, I'm going to talk about verse 15, which is kind of confusing to me, but it says, the Lord cares deeply when he die when his loved ones die. Oh Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant born into your household and you have freed me from my chains. So this is, was well, sort of personal to me because my church is aging and there's been a lot of, there's been many members in my church that have passed away recently. And I think I feel bad for our pastor because it's been, I think, very hard. But so the, um, I think it's interesting that it makes a point to say that the Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. And I think that there's a lot of people in church spaces who sort of act like, yes, it's okay to mourn, but God, we know that they're going with God. And while that is comforting, like, I think for most people, it doesn't make us feel all that much better because we're missing that person. And I think that it's really comforting to know that uh, God cares deeply for that hurt that's on earth. And he cares deeply for that person, even though he knows that they're coming to be with him. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, um, thank you for that, Drew. I um, am really grateful that you mentioned prayer. Um, I I don't <laughs> I don't know what has compelled that. So I I, I definitely um, sometimes there there are times when I feel um, 
where prayer seems accessible and times where prayer seems far. And lately, I've been in more of a season of prayer feeling accessible. I guess I find, I guess this is the key, when I find, um, when I find ways to bring God into my life, um, you know, like it helps to be in the liturgy every week. Um, it helps to be in service. It helps to be um, reading books um, that are about theology. Um, but when I find myself thinking about God, um, prayer seems accessible. And I... Um, Maybe I'll hear this from my my prayers, but I um, it's really easy for me to think of God as a friend, you know. Like I'll tell God my problems, I'll tell my God God my problems with God, um, and it. Um, if anything, I just, sometimes I feel bad because I'm like this is kind of one sided. Like I'm just kind of like dunking on you. Um, but there's this whole book. There's this whole book that's about how great God is. So I, I think God's fine. But um, but it's weird because when I – and sometimes I'm, like, annoyed. It's just, like, I don't want to pray about this because I don't actually – I don't actually want to, like, do the good thing, right? But, like, <laughs> but when I pray about it, like, sometimes, like, if something seems hard, like, it just seems so much easier. It's like God answers that prayer in the moment and like there's a way forward and just like, gosh, like it's just annoying. It's like, I wish, I wish God wasn't like this. Um, but no, I, I appreciate you talking about prayer and prayer is such a beautiful thing and an important thing, but a hard thing. Um, but I, yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, Drew, and I'm, I'm glad that you drew our attention to um, verse 3. Death's ropes bound me. The distress of the grave found me. I came face to face with trouble and grief. Um, and I think, so we, while I was still at Campus to City Wesley, we did a study of the Psalms, and I really loved it. I And I love talking about the Psalms because I think that they get into um, – some of the deepest, nittiest, grittiest stuff that uh, makes up um, what it means to be a person and how hard it is to be a person, how much joy there can be, how much grief there can be. And in this short little psalm, like you directed a, a, us to, the, the psalmist does get into um, the experience of the weightiness and the constriction, death's ropes bound me of um, grief and fear of death. Even, even in the midst of our knowing intimately and truly and authentically the goodness and the promise of our faith in God. Why? Because it's true that we can hold both things at the same time. That God is good and that grief can make it seem like and make it feel like life is hard and God is absent, to use a, a phrase that Derek uses. Um, and sometimes that's the case where we, we have to live in that tension of, I'm so grateful for so much and I'm afraid 
and I, I experienced grief. And this grief is in some ways now knit into the fabric of my person. Um, because the person or the experience that I'm grieving is a part of who I am too. So it's not like I'm just mourning um, some abstract death. I'm mourning the death of somebody who helped make me and my life mine. So thanks for drawing our attention to that. Yeah, Cam, I was literally thinking of that same thing. The life is hard, God is absent, and how those two things or like the those two concepts can be true in whatever way, shape, or form they take. Brooke, while you were talking, I was thinking of the show, this TV show from like 2008 called The Cleaner. I don't know if anybody knows the show, but it was about this guy who basically like helps people who are going through addiction, but he does it kind of like anyways throughout the the point of the matter is throughout the whole show he just like talks to god like just randomly and he always refers to it as like a one-sided conversation he's like yeah i just like talk to god and i don't ever hear anything back but I, he just he just does it throughout the whole show with no explanation they never go into it further he just does that throughout the whole show and i and i i just think i i don't know i'm just i'm just like pulling that connection of like yeah prayer does feel one-sided sometimes but like that just the act of doing it creates something i don't know what but it, it you know it creates it starts this connection it creates some sort of um way to process through this like life life is bad god is absent but we're still trying i don't know um it just just made me think of it in that way um so yeah thank you thank you all this is great um that leaves it to me with the gospel text of luke which i'm just going to launch right into um i have luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 35. Uh, I won't read much of this. I'll, I'll read the beginning and then kind of summarize the story for you. So um, this is coming from the voice translation again. It says, picture this, that same day, two other disciples, not of the 11, are traveling the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. As they walk along, they talk back and forth about all that has transpired during recent days. While they're talking, discussing, and conversing, Jesus catches up to them and begins walking with them. But for some reason, they don't recognize him. So this takes place after the resurrection and these people that are walking, they're literally talking to each other about like, about how bummed they are that their Messiah was killed. Um, Jesus being crucified. And then Jesus walks up and he's like, Hey, what you talking about? Uh -uh. And they're like, you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> and Jesus is like, don't know what. And they're like, and then they start, they start telling him about how like Jesus was crucified. And they're like, they're like bummed about it. And then like people say that his, body was taken who knows you know and jesus is like oh okay cool and then the and the the biggest point that i want to hit home on this is like i just can't get over there not recognizing jesus that was like the thing that literally stuck through me this whole time because jesus then goes on to like tell them literally everything in the new testament about his prophecy <laughs> his own prophecy and he's telling this to them and they're like wow really cool but they're they're so blinded that they don't they don't recognize that they're talking to the person they're talking about which i think is is just wild um so they literally say in the in the verses that they lost hope after their messiah was killed so they are followers yet they can't recognize the man after talking to him for like for literally ever um so looking through this i wrote some stuff down um i think there's something something to be said here about how we can turn a blind eye to things when our minds are made up like these people are so convinced in reality that in their reality that they live in where Jesus died, that they come across as 
honestly incredibly skeptical to the good news. Like they they've heard that Jesus's body isn't in the tomb anymore. They've heard this from um, the women that verified it. They've heard it from other disciples, but they they are in the reality that Jesus has died, and they cannot see past their own reality. So they don't they don't accept that they're they're still living in the world where Jesus died, and that's it. So I read this and I can't help but ask myself what narratives I'm not opening myself up to. Like what areas of my life am I so dead set on my own reality that I'm missing what's plain as day right in front of me? Uh, I just think there's something so ironic about them having cemented their own thoughts on Jesus's experience. They're literally telling Jesus how his own lived experiences went. Um, And now obviously we get the information that they don't know they're talking to Jesus, but I'm intrigued by that like metaphorical layer that says, uh, when you act like you know everything in your life, when you act like you know everything, you stop seeing other people. Like I'm so, I, I, I feel like I have all the knowledge that I need. Therefore, I have stopped seeing the people, even the people who I'm referring to. Um, so if you don't stay on it, I, I think my, my like kind of takeaway here is like, if you don't stay on a path that thirsts for the words and stories of other people, then you might end up missing out on some really big things. You'll miss out on the very life-bringing things that Jesus does for us. And in general, you'll miss out on moments that could be so powerful, all because of this feeling of intellectual superiority. And I, that might feel like a little bit of a reach, like these people are just walking and they're like, well, but I, I, at least for my own personal takeaway, that, that's what I hear. I hear this like desire to continue thirsting for the words and experiences of others and remaining open and receptive to that and not shut off because I feel like I already have all the information I need and therefore I don't need more information. Just this constant quest for knowledge, I think is uh, interestingly prevalent or at least through this read kind of sat there with me. So I'll, uh, I'll leave it there and throw it to you guys. Love to hear what you have to say. I think it's really funny whenever there's like a story like this, because it always makes me, because obviously off like first read, you're like, you know, the guy, how in the world would you not recognize him? And it's funny because it's like, sorry if you can hear my dog, but it's like, it's really funny because it's just like, how is that possible? But I try my hardest to not judge any of these stories or any of the people in these stories like this, because I know for a fact, like once I get to heaven, it's going to be like, Oh, remember, remember this, remember when you did this and you didn't, you know what I mean? Cause I feel like sort of like you were saying, it's like, these stories are in here for a reason. Like these sort of like, Oh, you didn't recognize Jesus. And I feel like we do that probably every day. You know what I mean? We're not seeing Jesus in this thing or we're not seeing Jesus in this thing. And we sort of ignore it. And sometimes it's because of our own pride and whatever. And I just think that that's like, I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, and Mike, I thought it was interesting how you, it, it sounds to me like out of this passage, you're pointing our attention to the necessity of like intellectual humility, because the only way that we're going to see something that we otherwise might not be able to see or learn something that we might need to learn is by inhabiting this um sort of posture of uh, acceptance um, that I think that I think follows from intellectual humility. Um, so yeah, I really love that uh, connection.
I, um, it's funny you mentioned that, Mike, and I just, I really appreciate, I know I keep saying that, I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate all that y'all are saying, um, but I, um, was actually thinking, um, a little bit about this, so I, um, when I lived with Mike and Cam and Andrew, who isn't here, not Drew, but Andrew, um, and um, that was in 2017 to 2018. Um, I just joined um, Derek's old campus ministry. <laughs> I still work for Campus to City Wesley. Um, and to me as a person who was still, um, who's going through a phase of deconstruction and reconstruction with my faith, um, uncertainty was a holy principle for me to hold that uncertainty and to realize that to have that humility, the type of humility of, you know, standing, standing beneath a starry sky and thinking I'm so small and I know so little. And to me, it's holy to have that sense of wonder and awe. And I, I still have a lot of wonder and awe, but one thing that I struggle with that I've been struggling with is that I, um, over the past years, it's like five, six years, um, my faith personally has grown much stronger. I have a belief in God that's very firm in a way that I struggle with, right? Because um, years ago, I used to wonder like how to think that such a faith was dangerous you know, to have that sense of certainty. Um, I actually remember um, in 2018, we're, we're on our prodigal um, spring retreat, and I was talking with Derek, and I think Derek told me, he said, like, all of my, um, all of my chips are in with Jesus. Like, I'm, like, putting, <laughs> like, if Jesus is wrong, then, like, my whole life, like, falls apart. And coming from like a season of doubt and uncertainty, I was just like, I don't, I don't think I could do that. You know, that, that seems dangerous to me. That's something that I don't think I could do, but I'm at a point where like all my chips are in with Jesus, right? Like I, my faith is really strong and I feel like I'm making daily choices in my life that if Jesus isn't guiding me in these decisions, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I'm, I'm afraid of that faith, but I I appreciate what you said, Mike, because it seems to me almost like a guiding principle that I can use in this time of um, how, how to believe what I believe, to know, to trust things as I understand them, and yet to keep my eyes open to what's in front of me to keep my eyes open to new information, to think I don't understand this and to keep asking questions um, and to keep that sense of wonder and um, openness, openness to what comes, to have a foundation, but, um, but to still not be so certain that I stop, that I stop searching and looking um, and being aware of what's present. Um, so I, I really appreciate that, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Brooke. Yeah, Brooke, I think you point out a, a great thing that I was neglecting to say too, is that like 
I, I do think the Bi- the Bible tells us to do both, right? Like we want to stand firm in like our beliefs while also having this sort of like ability to hear other people, you know, um, and their viewpoints. Also, I just want to throw this in real quick because I I forgot it. But um, at the end of the story, if you haven't read it, Jesus just like disappears like out of nowhere. Like they're they they finally reckon they're like, oh, you're Jesus, and then Jesus is like, he just vanishes in front of their eyes literally like like santa claus in every movie ever where the kid's like wait are you santa and santa like winks and disappears that's like literally what happens at the end of the story which i think is wild anyways uh that's not important at all uh what is important is brooke closing us out in prayer um if you want to join me in prayer um God, thank you so much for who you are and um, for all that you're doing in the world, um, even when we don't understand it. Um, God, I thank you so much for, I want to thank you for our liturgical passages because I I think it's really cool that we have these stories that come together and that we are supposed to get um that are organized in such a way that we can receive wisdom from them and insight at these important times of the year. I want to thank you for who you are, for your love. And um, I'm really thinking about, Cam mentioned this idea that Peter mentions of the risen Christ, of what, what the risen Christ looks like. And for me personally, that's um, I love celebrating the liturgical seasons, and after um, after Lent, it's kind of like a drop-off for me, where I'm like, oh gosh, like I had all this guidance about how to celebrate this season, and now it's just like, oh, Easter. Um, but I want to keep my eyes open to the resurrected Christ, to the risen Christ, and what that looks like in the world, how you appear to us in this world, and how you both act in our lives to animate animate our bodies as part of your body of the risen Christ, um, and how you call us call us to follow you on this journey, this mission of resurrection for everything. Um, and I ask God that for all of us listening, that you will guide us, guide us in becoming your body. Um, and then rising with you for the restoration of all of creation. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much again for joining with me on this uh, liturgical, liturgical, liturgical trip. Insert driving noises. Okay, this has been Studio Wesley Annex. Until next time.